Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as TIFA Project for short. I'm going to keep these announcements pretty brief because uh, starting with this episode, I am starting to incorporate announcements while we are actually interviewing live. So a couple of notes before we start this episode. I make a joke in this episode that we had received our first one-star review on Apple Podcasts. And so if you are enraged by that and you love the show so much, we would love for you to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Podchaser is kind of like the Yelp of podcasting, and you could actually find Podchaser on the top right of our website, tfaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W project.com. You can just click on that. And like I said, if you love our show and you are upset at this one-star review, as I am, I say that jokingly, I'm not distraught of a one-star review, but it just reminded me that it's important to remind all of us that we have a voice and it's important for us to amplify those voices. And hey, maybe the start of it for you is to let people know how much you love the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. So you can do that in the Apple Podcasts app of your phone, or you can visit Podchaser, which you can find on our website, tifaproject.com in the top right with all of our social media links. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, maybe we will give you a shout out for leaving us a kind review. All right, this next announcement is one of my favorite announcements in the recent weeks. Have you ever considered starting a podcast or you want to continue growing your podcast? More importantly, have you ever participated in attempting a world record? Well, PodFest Global Summit, which is coming next week, August 10th to the 15th of 2020, is attempting the Guinness World Records title for the largest attendance for a virtual podcasting conference in one week. And guess what? You could be a part of it for free. That's F-R-E-E, free. Simply check out our sponsors in the show notes of this episode or visit tifaproject.com. Like I said, tickets are free, but they are limited and they are filling up fast because there are a ton of people around the world that wanna be a part of attempting a world record. So once again, PodFest Global Summit, which is literally next week at the time of this recording. You can sign up for free in the show notes of this episode or by visiting tfaproject.com. Even if you are not planning on starting or growing a podcast show, come support anyway. I am going to be one of these speakers at the event and I would love to have you come support as I'll be representing the Filipino American Woman Project. And hey, if you are interested in actually upgrading your ticket, Find my contact info in the show notes, and I'll be happy to hook you up with a major discount. All right. With that said, really excited to get into this next interview, as I always am. And I just want to give you a little heads up. It's a little choppy here and there, you know, as it usually is during a pandemic when everyone's using the internet. So give us a little grace, as I always ask. I know that you will enjoy this interview with Leslie Marie Legaspi Legacion. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I'm your co-host, Jen Amos. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hello, hello. Yes, and if you are watching the video version of this interview, Nani has a fancy looking mic now. So um, thanks to her dad. So shout out to Uncle Uncle Dominguez. <laughs> Gio, Angelo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> shout out yeah, to cool. you, dad. You know who you are. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably like listening now that he set it up, you know? <laughs> no, for sure. Start going. For sure. Yeah, he's, he's probably gonna do that. I'd be like, Nani, next time, you know, you gotta do that. You know, I don't know how your relationship is with your dad, but yeah, hopefully he'll appreciate, he'll like give himself a pat in the back for setting up your audio. Yes, yes. I yeah. will let him know. <laughs> so I was just thinking, Nani, before we introduce our guests, that I don't have you on our intro music and stuff like that, at least for second season. So I thought I'd sort of like do that right now. And just, I mean, I welcome you on the show and just kind of like talk about some announcements. Okay. So I, I actually didn't tell you this ahead of time, but you're going to find out what I'm going to talk about right now. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So to our listeners, if this is your first time listening to our show, we have an official website. You can check out the show notes of this episode, especially after this conversation today, if you want to reach out to our guests by visiting tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W as in the Filipino American woman project.com. Also, although we are on Instagram, we're planning on engaging with our community more via newsletter. And so if you want to be part of the conversation, if you want to contribute, 
to the conversation and to our community to also visit the show notes at tifaproject.com and be able to subscribe to our newsletter because we're going to be investing more of our time in that space. Thirdly, we have a phone number now. So if any of you are interested in leaving us voice messages or texting us, I don't have the number memorized. Nani, do you have the number on you? No, I can pull it up. No, no, I can pull it up. It's 415-484-TIFA. Or 484-TIFA is 8329. Yeah, so you are welcome to text us, leave us a voice message, and who knows, maybe we'll play your voice message in our next episode. Last announcement I have, and this is going to like sound exciting, but also like not exciting, is Nani, did you know? So the other day, I was going on Apple Podcasts, and I was like, I wonder what reviews people are leaving. You know, like I don't usually check the reviews and I don't talk a lot about our reviews, mm-hmm. but I discovered that we have our first one star review. <laughs> yeah. And what? I mean, it's not written. It's yeah, it's not written or anything. It's just, it's just a one star review. And I got really excited about it because I was like, oh, that's how you know you're doing something right. Is if someone has to say like, has to like is hating. So I don't know if they're a <laughs> hater. I don't know if they're just a troll. I don't know. I don't know who they is, who they are. I just want to say thank you for that because it reminded me that I want to encourage our listeners that if any of our episodes, if any of our conversations, if any of our stories and life lessons resonate with you, as much as we love your direct messages and we love your emails, we absolutely love them. We would also love for you to help us out, help out our community by leaving us a written five-star review. So if you're upset, if you're enraged, (laughs) just as much as we are, you know, with a one-star review, please go visit Apple Podcasts or I think that's like the one medium that does accept reviews. I haven't really explored the other platforms, but please go there and leave a review and let us know how awesome the show is. And we would really appreciate that support because this is not about us. This is about you. You know, it's about you and getting your story heard and, and all that jazz. So Nani, I said a lot of announcements. I just want to check in with you real quick and see if you had any thoughts about anything I said. Um, no, not yet. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. So if you feel like, well, yeah, we would love to know why you gave us one star (laughs) and how we can improve that rating. But at the end of the day, to each his own. Do you boo? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't live for those. You know, I don't, I definitely don't live for the reviews. It just reminded me that I should talk about it more and encourage people. Like if you really have something nice to say, let us know. We want to hear from you. And of course, if you still just only feel comfortable direct messaging us or emailing us, that's absolutely okay as well. We just want to let you know that there's other option <laughs> for you to leave a review or to engage with us. And that's with leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. All right. I think that's all the announcements I have right now. So we are going to dive into our interview for today. And I'm really excited because I feel like we get to, I mean, we always get to interview just so many different people. <laughs> in our community and I'm constantly like dismantling whatever stereotypes that are thought of or imposed upon us as Filipino American women. So I hope this conversation will be another story that makes you feel like, oh, I can do that too. Or, oh, I don't just have to be this type of person. So I wanna introduce you all to Leslie Marie Legaspi Legacion. Leslie is a music director and a choir and piano teacher. She's been playing piano for 20 years and has dedicated most of her life to music, whether it's in ministry, school, or work. Leslie, welcome to the show. Welcome. friends? Yes, hi, friend. (laughs) We're so happy to have you, and I'm just really excited because I feel like it's a rite of passage for a lot of young Filipino kids, such as myself, to have taken piano lessons at a young age and actually not go through with it. In high school, I ended up pursuing sports, and so I stopped doing piano. I think it's just so beautiful, and and we'll get into your background in a little bit, but just knowing that you come from a musical background from your family, and having been in piano for 20 years, I'm just really excited to dive into, like, your perspective of what that's been like, and, you know, share some words of encouragement for today. So before we get into that, Leslie, why don't we start with you sharing, how did you hear about the project, and what inspired you to join us today to share your story? Well, I know I mentioned to you both that I've been a very dedicated listener to another podcast that was related to Asian women. And that's what it really was generalizing was Asian American women and Mm -hmm. the role of Asians in America. And I felt like every episode that I listened to, as much as I could relate to it in one way or another, it didn't resonate with me as 
much as I would hope for when it came down to culture, because the hosts of that particular podcast were not of Filipino descent and mm -hmm. had no way of relating to the Filipino culture. But then at the same time, the great debate of are Filipinos Asian or not is going to mm -hmm. live on forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I feel like I needed to find some that could resonate with me on a personal, cultural and spiritual level a lot more. And then, so I literally just typed mm -hmm. up Filipino podcasts and that was the first thing that came up. And I don't even know how many <laughs> episodes I listened to in one day, but I was driving to and from, <laughs> had it when I was getting ready. And I felt like I was listening to like my older sisters. I don't have older sisters, but like my older sisters and cousins who all had, you know, different kinds of work. And I felt like I was just like listening to their stories. So, and that's really mm. what drew me into how personal connected I felt with the podcast is I felt like I was listening to my own family talking with every story that you guys had. It was something wow. about it that always came back to, oh, like I have a cousin who actually is going through that right now, or I have a, a friend, a Filipino friend who actually just went through that. So mm -hmm. it made me feel a lot more included in the conversation, even if I was just listening. Because every single time I end an episode, I felt like I always had a personal reflection time as to, um, wow, there was something that she said that I'm going through right now too. So mm -hmm. I just felt, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even reach out to you guys hoping that I could have this opportunity. So to have an opportunity like this is huge. There, I even remember the last time I actually got to share a lot about my upbringing and my story too. Yeah. Wow. What a compliment. I feel like that's the compliment of the year to hear that it felt like family to listen to our conversations with these different guests that we've had on our show. Because I think that's the objective that Jen and I have. I remember when I first started co-hosting, a couple of people had told us that it felt like they were sitting in our like virtual living room and we were just, you know, like at a family gathering, having drinks and snacks or whatever. And so I'm glad that that translates through, you know, when you listen to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, for sure. And Leslie, thank you so much for sharing that because it's very validating. And, you know, this is why I always love asking this question because it's just a confidence booster for me to know that Nani and I are on the right track and that what we are doing is necessary. And yeah, we can get lumped in with all the other Asian communities, Asian people. But yeah, I mean, and we talked about this, or at least I know like Nani has mentioned this too, is that just that question of are Filipinos really Asian? And if they are, where are they in the hierarchy? And we're usually at the bottom of that in terms of like, you know, if you want to be any kind of Asian, you know, Filipino is not top of mind. Filipino is not the first thing you'd want to be. You know, I remember one of my mentors in college, he said, you know, being Filipino in America is a weak brand because he, he's a marketing person. He's like, it's a weak brand. And we as Filipinos need to make it stronger. And only we can do that. Only we can do that. Right. And so, you know, I remember at first trying to name the show. I mean, you know, to me, I see it very generic, the Filipino American Woman Project. But at the same time, I see it as a responsibility to give it the name that it has because we do exist. We are so unique. You know, it's hard to say, are we Pacific Islander? Or are we Asian? Mm -hmm. You know, we're Filipino. <laughs> and let us tell you what Filipinos do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, on top of that, we are so multifaceted. We speak so many different dialects. There's so many different islands, thousands of, you know, a thousand islands, hundreds of dialects, different religions in the Philippines. And then there's the diaspora. Uh, so there, we're just, we're just a lot of things. And I can only imagine like how you felt like listening to the other podcast show, because it's like, oh, cool. This is the closest thing that I feel like I can relate to. So when you reached out to us and you listened to our show, I just appreciate, you know, your feedback. Cause it's like, it's one thing to listen to that, but you know, to find a show that actually like is you or represents you. And we, Nani and I have the fortune of facilitating that. It's just truly an honor and it's very validating. So just thank you for sharing that and even participating on our show and, and adding to the conversation. I actually asked my mom like recently when she came to America and realized that she was considered Asian, you know, because when you're in the Philippines, you don't consider yourself to be Asian. You're just, you're, you know, you're, you're Asian on the map and you're Asian geographically. And then you look at us physically and culturally and what part of us is actually Asian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, so I, I actually asked her, like, did you realize that you weren't Asian when you came to America? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, I mean, like, I'm sure like a lot of our parents don't even 
talk about anything geographically in that sense anymore because they're just so into their culture. So they don't mm -hmm. really care what kind of Asian they look like now because on the SATs, they, they put a Filipino bubble there. That from what right. I saw like years ago, there's a Filipino, but we made it, guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We made it. And then we have in it. the we... state of California, too, I think now. Yep. Yeah, we have our own bubble. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Represent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to give a shout out to Dr. Ray Monzon, who was our student. I mean, he eventually became our student advisor for the Filipino organization I was a part of at San Diego State University. And he was a statistician. I mean, he had a statistician. Yeah. Statistic. He was in statistics. He was into statistics. He was oh. half, he's half Filipino, half Hispanic, I believe. But he really resonated with his Filipino side. He has a PhD in psychology and his kind of like life's mission on campus was to have statistics available to show what Filipinos go through, to put Filipinos on the map. And so there's a part of me that feels like, or I, I believe he had contributed to adding the bubble, the Filipino bubble, you know, in, in when you're filling out your forms. And so he was definitely one of those people early on in my college years that I was just like, wow, he's like actively making history right now. He's actively like pushing to make us feel seen and really make our needs uh, validated and, you know, put in the forefront and considered when it comes to higher education. So he even did a study on the suicide rates uh, in our community. And really that, just that pressure, you know, to be a certain, you know, to study a certain thing in school and, and what have you. So I don't have all the details, but I just want to give a shout out to him because he was one of those people in California. That I really looked up to him for that and for what he was doing. And I almost wanted to continue school just so I could get a PhD and do that kind of study. But, you know, I don't, I couldn't stay in school for that long. I got my bachelor's. I'm good. Like I've just got that. So yeah, Leslie, thank you so much for sharing that. And like I said, it's always great to hear a listener and how the show is read resonated with them. And then on top of that, for them to feel so comfortable enough to be on the show, because I'd like to believe that Nani and I are pretty, <laughs> pretty approachable. And so, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for that. So anyway, this show, we identify Filipino American women as individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent, whether it's, you know, 1%, 5%, half, you know, they have that in them. We've also been kind of opening up the conversation. Nani and I were kind of talking about this on another conversation. We're opening up the conversation to invite people who maybe really resonate with this project to be on the show as well. You know, someone who has, who is of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronounced she, her. And we do invite those who identify as non-binary to be on the show as well. So I say all that just to kind of give some context. Uh, I get asked often why, you know, like what does it mean to be a Filipino American woman? So that's why I wanted to add that context. So Leslie, why don't you share with us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman? You know, after I finished listening to the last couple of podcasts, this is the question that I had to really pray on and had to really um, discern on because I knew it was going to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> so like on, on my drive home last night, I, I finished listening to a, um, a podcast and I knew this was the first thing and um, praying on it. I think about, well, both of my parents born and raised in the Philippines. My dad is from Manila. My mom's from Gawit, Cavite. And a lot of who they are and a lot of what they went through, they have, I mean, I feel like they're still living um, that is still in the Philippines now because they've always brought all their traditions and stories um, mm -hmm. here and shared it with me and my younger brother and I feel like I pay so much more respect to my parents for how they were brought up um, you know because of all the stories that I would ask about them and their family and a lot of the traditions especially being you know being so heavily involved in the church how much they talk about when they used to go to church when they were young and like you know walk there with um, their big families too so a lot of their traditions and stories um, really play a part of how I grow up now and um, everything that I go through, like going to mass on Sundays. Um, mm -hmm. I think about my parents, you know, walking to mass from their place um, on Sunday in the Philippines at like 5.30 in the morning too. So it really makes me feel more blessed to know that how I'm living now is really a true testament of how my parents lived in the Philippines, just in a different environment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just, just recently, I, you know, I asked my parents all the time about stories about their upbringing at home. And my dad brings up there's a part of him that can't go back to the Philippines anymore because every time he sees you know his family back there and how their living situation is now he just can't help but feel like you know he has so much here that's why he feels so guilty just going back home sometimes because he doesn't want to see where he came from anymore 
because there's really like nothing there for him anymore to live in. So I um, appreciated that because he got really emotional when he told me that too. Mm. And then like my mom and her family are completely different. They have a really nice house in the Philippines. They well maintained it for years. So her story is completely different, but they would always share. Like I actually recently, yesterday, I asked my mom because I was on my period this week. Girl. And then I asked my mom, <laughs> when you guys were on your period, when you guys were in the Philippines, like what did you do mm. to, like what did you use? And then she said, Oh, we would just get any any old shirt that we would find on the ground. Yeah, and just there's use no that tampons as a there. Even today, yeah, she said, yeah, and like any tampons. old shirt, and she would they would just wash it, and then they have to wait for it to dry. She said it would be so painful. Wow. To, yeah. So I just asked her that yesterday, and I asked my aunt that last night too, and they said, yeah, we would just use any old shirt or any old um, basahan that we'd find in the kitchen. And imagine, like, if we had to do that here, like, how much would that impact your day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. Like, could you go to work yeah. like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Could, would you have to stay home for a week from work just yeah. to have your period? Like, what a privilege. Mm-hmm. Wow. So just all the, all the stories that, they would, that I would ask, because I invest a lot of interest in knowing how my parents grew up, you know, just for me and my brother to be, you know, more grateful for the simple things now. Especially, you know, the simple things like having a period in America. (laughs) That you don't realize is such a privilege until you hear a story like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, that just reminds me quick. But when I was little, I used to always beg my grandparents to take me to the Philippines. And they used to say, no, no, no. And try and tell me things about it that would turn me off. And so one of the things that my grandma used to tell me is, you know, they don't have toilet paper there. And I was like, what? What do you mean they don't have toilet paper? But really, when you go there, there's no toilet paper. Like, I mean, of course, if you go into a nice restaurant or a nice resort somewhere in like the city metro areas, then... uh, is your toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if you use a public restroom, there's, you know, you can't count on that. Or if you're like at the beach or something. So... Yeah, it was it was interesting to see that because I always thought that she just said that to like get me to stop asking, but really she was being honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of when I used to visit the Philippines with family and my mom would always have tissue like in her bag and tissue and hand sanitizer. <laughs> and yeah. so or, was it hand sanitizer? Yeah, I think she had the hand sanitizer. And I remember like if we go to the public bathroom, she'd be like, here, take this with you. You know, and she'd like mm-hmm. pull out like a toilet paper roll like from her bag. I was like, wait, what? Like, how did you, you pack that in there? I mean, she's like Mary Poppins. She has like everything in her Always bag. prepared. Yeah. Yes. yeah, always prepared. And so I remember that. And then I remember, you know, just going into the bathrooms, like the public bathrooms and, you know, I, it was even a luxury that it flushed, you know, because I, I remember my like the land that my mom uh, lived on, they had to, you know, if if you wanted to flush, you had to fill up a bucket of water Mm -hmm. and then pour it in and then it'll Mm -hmm. flush. You know, there was no like pull anything, pull a handle and it'll flush. And so I I love that you are so invested in hearing about your parents' stories. That, That Honestly, that's something that, I mean, that's something that my sister and I are now doing. And it's a long time coming for us because, you know, I have my own history and I won't, I won't get too much into it. But I just think it's beautiful that you have that opportunity to do it. And more importantly, your parents are more than happy to share or they, they at yeah. least are willing to share. Because I think about my own family and it's not that they didn't want to share. I think it's that they were more focused on providing for us that Mm -hmm. it wasn't like about storytelling. It was about like, okay, good. You're fed. You know, you have a roof over Mm -hmm. your head. Like you're going to school. It's all about like checking off uh, that, you know, the boxes on the list until you get married and have kids, you know, and, and have a house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At least that, that was my upbringing that I had in my family, but it's only now that we're starting to explore our family history. Um, And so I think it's really awesome that you have that opportunity. Like that's something that I personally envy and, and, and admire that you have that with your parents. Yeah, same. Just like a couple, a couple hours ago, my mom was cooking and then I was just like um, cleaning the floors and she said, stop, look over here. Look what I'm doing. You're going to make this whenever you need to make it. <laughs> she would stop, just look over here. Here's, here's what you do. <laughs> so, that's so funny. Yeah. Cause you know, this is like two hours ago. <laughs> I love it. No, it's so funny. I mean, that's awesome Awesome. because, you know, my mom would always say like, let's say TFC is on. My mom would be like, oh, you know, watch TFC so you can learn Tagalog, you know, she's like, oh, if only you knew how to cook this. And and it's like, well, 
I mean, mom, if I didn't come home and the food was always ready, then maybe I would have learned how to cook that. But my mom, you know, she was that provider. Mm. She just wanted to make sure there was always food on the table. And so it's really cool that your mom's like, hold up, <laughs> take a moment here and watch what I'm doing because you're going to need to do this one day. Like that, that sounds like an amazing mom to have. <laughs> yeah. She is. Beautiful. Well, Leslie, let's go into your life today. Thank you for sharing your family history. (laughs) I always find that when I ask the question about like, you know, why you identify as a Filipino American woman, I feel like we just get just such a variety of answers. And to me, it just validates how multifaceted we really are. So thank you for being very thorough with that in terms of why you identify and then sharing a little bit about your family history. So let's go ahead and jump into life today. For people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you share nowadays, you know, what keeps you busy or most excited about life nowadays? Well, I mean, like a typical day for me, well, ever, you know, since quarantine and since for the last four months, oh man, four months, <laughs> I've been, um, you know, playing for, for mass at 8.30 every single day, play and sing. So, that, so that's been a big transition is um, before I wasn't playing every single day. And now that with all these new restrictions, now it's really just me providing music every single day at mass. Wow. Yeah. So Are that's you doing really, that it, like on Zoom? No, we, we record, we record and it's up on YouTube. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, so I do mass in the morning and then on certain days I'm in the parish office, you know, just planning music, just doing all my responsibilities for church. And then, then I'll just go home, have lunch, and then I'll usually teach a few piano students. And then by the evening, hopefully I have time to go for a walk, have dinner, work out. And that's really, <laughs> that's really my day. And and that's how it's been recently in the last four months. Like, I don't even remember what I was doing in it anymore because of how long these last four months have been. Because this yeah. has been my, my life the last four months is playing for mass every day, teaching piano online, you know, and that's really what I've been accustomed to now. And now I, I can't even picture what it was like on March 8, which was the last mm-hmm. Sunday that we actually celebrated wow. um, a normal mass. Wow. Fun fact, sidetrack, the NBA closed the day after my birthday. So my boyfriend surprised me on my birthday on March 10th, took me to the Warriors game at the Chase Center. And then the day after that NBA closed, quarantine happened. Dang. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so I, just, I barely made it. <laughs> yeah, that just, that just reminds me of like the last conference that my husband and I went to. And it was like that first week of March and we had planned in advance to get to rent out an RV and like road trip from Virginia to Florida. And it's interesting because they already had talks about potentially canceling the conference, but we went and it was great. And when we came back, that's when like we really started to get the news of like things shutting down and like people having to stay at home. And so I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so glad that we got that in. Like it was a risk, Mm -hmm. but we did it, you know? And it's crazy because Florida is now one of the top states like with, you know, with this pandemic going on and how, you know, they are required, like the beaches are closed, you know, they're not allowing them to really enjoy, you know, the summer weather where, you know, fortunately here in Virginia beach, you know, we still get to walk on the beach. I feel very fortunate about that, but it's just crazy to think like just months ago, you know, we, we were able to kind of like slide in there (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and get that experience. So that's, you know, that's what uh, you had reminded me of a question I have for you in regards to piano lessons. So how is it like to teach piano lessons now? Because I, I remember when I was taught piano that there was always someone sitting next to me. And I imagine now you have to do it virtually, right? Mm-hmm. And so how is that experience like for you? And how have you been able to adapt to that as kind of like the new normal of teaching? Yeah, I mean, I listened to your most recent episode with Missy and I started <laughs> following I started following her and I was, yeah, a lot, of, I mean, I, like I said, I felt like I was listening to my older sister, like an older version Aww. of me, because a lot of what she was talking about, I was like, well, let's be friends forever. So, Yeah, <laughs> like I wonder if you can me. relate to her, like helicopter mom, <laughs> getting her into her uh, piano. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like for me, online lessons went a lot better than I anticipated. I mean, a lot of the students that I have and their families are just really, they work really well with me. And a lot of their parents, you know, sat by them during their lessons while we were teaching. And just surprisingly, it it really worked out a lot better than I thought it would. And a lot of these, my youngest student is in first grade, and even he could comprehend things a lot better. Wow. Um, I can't imagine getting a first grader to be like on Zoom playing piano. (laughs) Oh, I know. But then especially because a lot of, I mean, 
kids in elementary school are they they're more familiar with how to use their iPad and how to use a piano any anyway. True. So right. like them watching is no different anymore <laughs> than you so, being there in person. Yeah. Yeah. So every time I had a piano lesson with some of my youngest students, I feel like those are the ones that really progressed a lot more just because they were. It's like watching a, like a YouTube video today. Yeah, they're like so much more adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I was I was surprised. Yeah, no, that I think that's very surprising. And the way that you explain it, it's like, oh yeah, that actually is not surprising, you know, because I just think about, yeah, like these kids kind of grew up with technology in their hands, you know, and because there was some criticism, I've been following the news as I have been doing lately, because that's a new thing I do nowadays. You know, they talk about how, you know, like Trump, for example, has been really encouraging uh, kids to go back to school or Trump or other people like other other people are saying that they should go back to school because they need to have that in person, you know, interaction like they they learn better, like in person, which, you know, is probably true. But, you know, fortunately for the younger generation, yeah, they grew up with technology in their hands. And so to me, that's reassuring in my head to think like, okay, hopefully these kids, I mean, yeah, maybe later down the line, they're going to do a study of, of all the kids that had to learn during COVID and how that really impacted them socially, you know, psychologically, et cetera, et cetera. But until then, it, I think it's a good thing that, you know, they all have phones already. They all have iPads already. So that just like what you said, it's like just watching a YouTube video and just learning how to play like that. It's like watching a YouTube video to learn how to put on makeup. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. like you're doing that for piano lessons. And so I think that's really awesome. And, and that it's turned out better or even better for you. And, you know, you think about, or at least I think about all the all the businesses that have suffered, you know, through COVID as a result of all the social distancing. And so it's just really great to hear that at least, you know, what you're doing has been able to evolve and even be more beneficial, you know, given everything. I just said like I had a virtual piano recital, but then what I did is um, fortunately I was able to use the piano here at the church. So then I had all their students come in during their lesson one by one and I pre-recorded all of their pieces. And then I gathered everyone in a, in a Zoom meeting, like all the families, were mm-hmm. present in the Zoom meeting, plus grandma, grandpa from wherever they were, like all, you know, it was just like a regular audience and played through all of their piano recital videos. I had a program printed out. I gave them medals. I gave them awards. Oh, just like wow. I wanted to make this experience as normal and moving as it was a normal recital. And I just thought, wow, like this has forced me and a lot of people to just um, explore so much creativity point where <laughs> you can never stop moving your brain anymore at this point. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You definitely dove into that quick. I feel like I'm still trying to grapple with how to adjust to having everything online and how to be as impactful online as you can be in person. And so, yeah, how beautiful that you were able to do that and put it together that quickly, like with all of the craziness that's going on in the world right now. And yeah, I'm sure the families and grandma and grandpa from wherever they were from really appreciated that. Yeah, they did. It, it was a great turnout. I got really good feedback from it. So now it's just thinking, so what does the fall look like? Or what does next week look like mm. now? Now yeah. that we have this secondary option of doing virtual lessons, you know, mm. we don't know. Yeah, that probably opens up a lot of opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really fascinating that you prepare music and you play and perform for mass. I'm curious to know like what that experience is like, just because, you know, I think about, I mean, I, I got rebaptized as a Christian like a year or two ago, but I remember it, growing, growing up, up as a Catholic, Catholic, you know, there was always like that one pianist, <laughs> like the same one that was always there and performing. And I'm just curious, like, how did you actually find the opportunity, you know, to perform in mass? Was it because, you know, it's the same church you've always been a part of or, you know, someone found you? Like, I'm just curious, how did, how did you end up, you know, being able to perform and, and teach and, you know, all that in, at, at mass? Yeah, so just backtracking just to get a little history of the context of that. I mean, growing up a cradle Catholic, that's what they call it. You, you're born into the faith. Your parents um, brought you in, uh, into the Catholic faith, too. Um, I've been playing piano for, for a while, and I just remember going to Mass and just always having focus on the music. Even when I was mm-hmm. young, at every church that we went to, I was always like, that's boring. That's really good. That's a good singer. That's an old woman. <laughs> so... <laughs> I always had something to say when it came to church music growing up. 
in any parish that we went to and church after like confirmation or something. And then I was, I was just playing things off the top of my head. And then the director at the time just kind of heard me playing at some random piano in the church and just said, Hey, do you want to play for a baptism this Saturday? We'll pay you. <laughs> I was like, um, how about uh, yeah. tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I've been playing for, I've been accompanying church. Wow. Since 2009, um, 2015 as the music director. And I've been doing that ever since. I'm in St. Francis of Assisi in San Jose, California. Our parish has, you know, it's super diverse. It's beautiful out here. And if anyone ever has a chance to visit um, SFOA up here in like the Evergreen Hills, I really advise you to do it just because there's so much scenery. Um, our, our church is all windows. There's no walls. So if you're in mass, you could see that it feels like you're like in the mountains. You can just see all the trees. So um, I grew up in this parish and just to be able to have the opportunity to grow up in the parish and then play for the parish and then work for the parish has been many different milestones that has really created the person that I am now. Um, especially a lot of the um, aunties and uncles who I've accompanied when I was a teenager and now I'm their director and they, some of them still call me baby. And <laughs> so, so it's, it's been an interesting journey. My, you know, my time here at St. Francis, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else for what, you know, I've been blessed to do here. Yeah. How beautiful that you've been able to merge kind of your hobby with like your church life and the people that you've grown up with essentially there. It's mm -hmm. probably really rewarding for them to get to see you play or even now like having to watch it on YouTube. I think it's much better to watch someone that you know and that you connect with versus, you know, whoever else is just playing randomly. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And I just remember every time I would, you know, plan a song list for mass or anything and sing with like my friends or some of the older choirs or some of the little kids here, we have 20 choirs here at the parish, a little over 20 choirs here because there's so many people here and there's so many different kinds of groups that there's no place where you can never feel welcome and never be involved mm. in. Cause there's really a choir like for every age group and every color. And we've been so lucky to form these different communities within the music ministry that there's no place that you can't be a part of mm -hmm. unless you only speak Vietnamese, but, <laughs> but, but it's been so great here. And a lot of the music that we do here is really not traditional, like Catholic music, as some people might remember growing up into a lot of the perspective that I have now with the new church is how to bridge the traditional Catholic music with the newer contemporary with like, you know, praise and worship Christian music, which is something I'm really uh, familiar with too. And how to really find that bridge with all these generations who attend mass and how to, I guess, congregate each other, you know, through different generations of music now. Hmm. Yeah, just to recap a little, just because I like a little early on, it, it sounded choppy on my end. So just so I am caught up. I mean, I, I heard everything, but I just want to make sure that I heard it clearly. So, so basically, you know, early on in your younger mass days, you know, attending mass, you kind of, you always had something to say about whoever was the pianist. <laughs> and, you know, in time, you know, as you improved your craft and as you were given the opportunity to, you know, perform, you were able to kind of be the pianist that you wanted to be, you know, for your congregation and for your community. Does that sound about right? Yeah. And then fast forward to today, I think it's just, it's so beautiful that you have been with the same congregation essentially your whole life. Like, you know, I personally cannot relate to that because I was a military child. I moved around a lot and I, I could only imagine what it's like to just be in, in the same community, you know, with people and, and they've seen you grown up, I see you grow up. And of course it would make sense for you to have this opportunity because they, they know, like, and trust you, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. for, for so long. And so I think that that's so beautiful. And that's, I think it's a testament to your community, your congregation for just the love and support that it sounds like you all have for each other. So it's really nice to, to hear your perspective and, and hear that, you know, there is a congregation out there that is accepting of all types of people. Because even for myself, I think about part of why I had decided to become a born again Christian is because I didn't always have a very positive experience of being Catholic. Like, you know, Catholic guilt was a real thing, <laughs> you know, for me yeah. growing up. And so it was only until I started attending Christian like churches where I started, you know, 
feel really accepted and feel like I could just focus on my relationship with God as opposed to like the rules that I was uh, supposedly told to follow. And so, you know, obviously everyone has a different spiritual journey. I just love hearing your story because you're like a success story as someone of Catholic faith that it's just a relief to me to know that there's a healthy community out there, (laughs) you know, as opposed to my own upbringing, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, it's just nice to have, to hear that from you. So thank you for sharing that and being very thorough with your story and your involvement with your church. Yeah. And, you know, talking about faith and religion, it's never going to be an easy topic. It's, you know, it's very political. Um, And I've attended Christian church before. I have a lot of friends who grew up who were who are not Catholic too, and I've gone to their you know rallies and services because we don't call them mass. So right. rallies and services, and I Bible. <laughs> so I've been exposed to that that Christian life culture mm-hmm. that you know there's such a big divide that people don't see, mm-hmm. you know. And so me and my group of friends, like my super talented group of friends, this St. Francis of Assisi Young Adult um, Ministry, like we a lot of us have been exposed to the different kinds of Christianity and Catholic. And how do we just use music to bridge that? Cause mm-hmm. we're really not that different, you know, mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to music, we, we, you know, um, for Christians here with like Chris Tomlin and Carrie Job and all of these wonderful artists too. And a lot of their music heavily influences what mm-hmm. the new Catholic church is doing. A lot of these new contemporary artists are, really channeling a lot of these praise and worship artists too. And there's so much about like music today that can bridge that gap between like Christian mm-hmm. and Catholic. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love that music is your ministry. And I heard this before that it's important to, you know, focus on the gifts that God has given you. And it's important to, you know, put it out there and use that as your form of service because And someone said this to me so eloquently, uh, like years ago, you know, she said, you may be the only Jesus that person ever sees, you know? And so it's like, I just think that it's so powerful what you're doing and the mission that you're doing with your group and how music is, as you mentioned, is your bridge, you know, to, to show people like, Hey, the bigger scheme of things, we all believe in the same things. We all want the same things. And uh, we're going to do our part, at least through music to show you, you know, that, we're on the same page here. <laughs> we're really mm-hmm. on the same page. And so, so thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Well, Leslie, we're going to get to my favorite part. I mean, this whole conversation has been great so far. It's just nice to me, you know, it's just nice to see someone who is happy in the Catholic faith, because as I mentioned in my own history, I've struggled with Catholic guilt. And I, I remember um, going to this church and all the people there uh, called themselves uh, recovering Catholics because they all converted to, <laughs> you know, Christianity. Oh. Um, Hello. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, as you mentioned, it's it's very political, you know, to talk about religion. But I appreciate you just you, you know sharing your own testimonial and your own story and how music has become your ministry and and you know the bridge to build you know for other people. So now we're going to get into uh, one of my most favorite parts of our conversation, which is really sharing a life lesson and a story behind that life lesson, like what led you to that life lesson. And you have here that uh, a life lesson that you've always repeated to yourself is as long as you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that, which I completely agree with, by the way, elaborate on that. And what, what aspect of your life led you to you repeating that over and over again? Well, I mean, I've been a musician for so long and I've been surrounded by so many kinds of musicians and artists, especially attending um, San Jose State and being a music major and all of my, you know, groups of friends and colleagues were just so passionate about everything that they did musically too. And, you know, going into this kind of field and industry, you can never really expect to be a million bucks or a millionaire or anything. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always, it's rare that musicians and artists even make it in the world now, unless you're in the right spot and know the right people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people that I've been surrounded with have just loved teaching and loved playing and loved singing too, and didn't ask for anything in return. Mm. And that's really what I took to heart for a really long time is maybe I won't, you know, get the house that I wanted, or maybe I won't earn what I think I deserve or, but, you know, but it feels great to do it, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, you know, and I talk about this because um, being in the church, I, you know, serve at funerals and weddings and baptisms. Wow. Uh, and sometimes when I serve it, I love serving at funerals. Like I have 
one tomorrow and I have one on Saturday morning. And when I, when I, when I sing at a funeral, and even if I, most times I don't know these families. Um, and most of the time, I don't know anyone in attendance in that funeral, but I feel like um, I'm, I'm as emotionally invested in that service as they are for mm -hmm. their loved one who passed away too. And then in the back of my head, I think I would do this for free any day. I really mm -hmm. would, you know, because any time that I get an opportunity to be a part of someone else's celebration, like, like a funeral or celebrate someone's wedding or um, someone's baptism too, it's like, you know, how can you put a price on that? Yeah, like, why would priceless. you put a price on celebrating, my, yeah, celebrating milestones with people that you don't know, but being as emotionally invested as they are too. I love um, that you're so emotionally invested and that you take such honor in that. Like I, I am just thinking of, I went to LA a couple of weeks ago because my uncle passed away and at his funeral, the priest just seems so like the opposite, like so uninvested. And he was like spending 30 minutes yelling at us because we weren't social distancing. And you know what I mean? It was just like, wow, you're really taking away from this experience right now. I mean, I understand like the importance of social distancing right now and whatever, but at the same time, he was also like flubbing the names of, he was trying to read off the, all of my cousin's names and he was like mispronouncing them and then going, oh, but you guys know what I mean. You guys know who I'm talking about. And it's just like, <laughs> can you treat this with a little more grace? This is a funeral, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I love that you walk into those experiences kind of already acknowledging that and, and making the, that kind of connection through the music that you're playing. Yeah. And that's why even, you know, people say, oh, um, you know, you perform for church, you know, you're, you're performing for mass. And, you know, for me and like all of my, my friends who, who like them and I like worship together, it's never a performance. You know, and we, mm. a performance is something, you know, where um, you're the attention and like people are applauding for you. And um, what we do here in ministry is not for ourselves, you know, and we give of ourselves, but in the end, it's really not for, like our purpose is not, you know, for ourselves too. And, and that's why, like whenever I am in mass or in a funeral or wedding or teaching or in school, like I think, you know, I shouldn't be doing this for free, but I really would because mm -hmm. um, you can't put a price on what this makes me feel right now. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think this is a, a wonderful conversation in terms of like what it's like to live the creative life, you know, because I think that's the number one topic that comes up is like, well, can I make a living out of this? And if you're going to be in it, if you're going to be living this type of life, you really have to ask yourself, like, what am I in it for? And what does success look like? to me. And it sounds like those experiences that you get to share, you know, with these families that you don't even know, comes off very fulfilling for you. I also just wanted to bring up the fact we didn't really talk a lot about this. But, you know, in our notes here, your family are generally all musicians, or they're all creative people. So I'm wondering if you know, that influenced you or that kind of gave you that fundamental confidence to pursue like, you know, your passion and in, in music and everything. Because mm -hmm. I imagine for someone who wants to be a creative, but comes from, you know, a background of family that we're expecting you to, you know, have a stable job, you know, it's, it's a, it's more of an uphill battle for them. And so do you feel like, you know, just being in that environment has been really just validating for you to pursue, to pursue music? I mean, my dad has been singing his entire life and not, and like, not like, my dad sings karaoke <laughs> like no my dad actually <laughs> sings <laughs> like he's taken voice lessons he has competed he mm. has performed he's not just living room i'll do it my way uncle <laughs> so <laughs> so like my dad sings <laughs> and like Beautiful. my mom and a few of her siblings all played piano <laughs> mm -hmm. like structurally Mm -hmm. So I would like to say that, you know, a lot, my, my parents especially were really the ones who didn't have to push me. I think just kind of being around it was enough for me to want mm -hmm. to try it. And before I even got into piano lessons, my mom actually took me to a random recital, not knowing that that was going to be my teacher. So that was her strategy. She says, let's go to yeah. this recital. Nice. I don't know anyone here. I was, I was six. And then I watched this recital. My mom goes, you're going to be up there one day. And then lo and behold, that next Tuesday, she goes, here's your piano lessons. You're starting on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. So that was kind of, yeah, that's how she kind of drove me into that. And I never said no. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I think my parents saw it in me before I did. Wow. 
you know, they, they would never say like, it's like, Hey, watch this movie. You might like it. Like, so let's go to this recital. And then like, you're going to be up there one day. And then when I actually had my own recital, when I was 10, I performed on the same stage that my mom brought me to when I was six. And she opened, you know, she opened the program with, I told my daughter four years ago that she was going to be up here. Mm. Oh, that meant so much to her. And it's crazy to see like how they strategize that probably without even knowing it Yeah, that I never said no. And they never pushed me into it. Maybe some of my other aunts and uncles might've been like, be a nurse or be a lawyer, Mm -hmm. but my parents never told me to do anything that they didn't see I could succeed in. Yeah. What I love most about your and Missy's stories, both is that rare kind of theme that we're seeing where both your and your parents dreams for you kind of align because Mm -hmm. so many of us you know feel or have experienced the complete opposite and so I love hearing that in your stories and it just sounds like again like Jen said it's been so much more fulfilling for you because you know you have that a history in your own family and be the support from them yeah Yeah. like they've my, my parents have been at every performance of mine or my students so, and they'll watch it like more than once. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. I feel like it's important to say this just because I feel like culturally, like one thing our family aspires for all of us is financial stability. So, so um, what advice can you give to musicians and artists that want to be a creative, that want to live this life, that want to serve in this kind of way? What do you want to say to them when they do face financial hardships? Because I, I think that's just mm-hmm. kind of comes with the package of this type of life, you know? Yeah. And thing is, that's always going to be a question that never has a right answer. You know, mm-hmm. we, um, teachers and musicians will always tell us someone to do what they love and to, you know, don't stop. And as much as I would love to say to an aspiring musician, like you'll make it, there's going to be, not everyone can make it, you know? And I told one of my high school students, it's like, if you want to succeed in this, you have to have a relationship with, you know, this instrument and mm. this profession too. Like this profession will knock you down in so many ways that probably more than people will. Wow. Too. And, and it's true. And like the times where I would like study for my college senior recital, like I found myself crying at my piano at like midnight, you know, and just saying, just saying like, I don't even know if this is really mine anymore. This is, this is not for me anymore too. Mm. But it's really like, how much are you really willing to invest in your own success? Mm-hmm. You know, how much are you willing to, um, to sacrifice, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, too, into really getting to what you feel like you deserve, too. And um, goes to show you're never going to, nothing's ever going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And you're, you might not ever make the amount of money that you want or live in the place that you want, too. But, like, you're doing this because you love it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much more that creatives do other than their instrument or their, you know, their profession. And that's, that's the whole point of being a creative is what else Loving can you your do? Craft. Yeah. yeah. Like what else can you do other than your craft? How can you expand that? That's why I opened my own piano business too. Because mm. that was just my way of mm-hmm. saying, like, I can do more for myself. If, like you really have to, you know, be your own boss for most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah, I think being a creative is almost exclusive to being an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know, because you have the talent, but you also have to know how to market that talent Mm -hmm. and you have to know how to make a business out of that talent. So, wow. Leslie, I feel like we could talk forever. And I just (laughs) want to thank you so much for being very thorough, you know, with, you know, who you are and your family background and what you do today and, you know, just your passion in music. And I hope that our creatives out there will take something from this conversation. If you're not creative, um, I still hope that you took something from this conversation as well. I think that that's really great advice. And as someone who advises kids and spends so much time with kids, it's important to kind of ground them in that, you know, as they're taking these lessons and expected to do something with it in their future, or Mm -hmm. if they want you know, if that's their own desire, it's important to be realistic about it with them instead of kind of selling them a dream and giving them the generic answer of, you know, do what you love and don't stop. Don't let anyone Mm -hmm. stop you. Because of course, we've all heard that and whatever, but so much easier said than done. So when um, stuff starts to actually hit the fan in their lives later on, they can think back to the advice that you gave and keep asking themselves, like, how much do I want to invest in this? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And the last thing I, I just remembered what I wanted to add is that it sounds like you have to marry your art. You know, you have to be, you have to have like this very committed, you know, loving relationship with your art and your creativity because it will be hard. You know, you think about any relationship yeah. that you commit to, you will have your ups and downs. You will question yeah. why you're in this relationship. But in the long run, you know, you come to find that the benefits of it, if you stick around now, obviously not everything is promised and, and your outcomes may not be what you expect it to be. Um, but it's not necessarily about the outcome. It's about the commitment. It's about like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I love doing it. I will do this even for free. And I think when you find that kind of profession or you've, you know, you find that thing that you love and you're passionate about, it's like, you know, at the same time, you can redefine what success means to you and what happiness means to you. I also just wanted to mention, you know, because um, that I never pictured myself ever being in at any part of my life is working in a Catholic school because I always dreamed of, you know, working in a public school, teaching choir, teaching music too. But here I am, like working in the Catholic school and using the non-Catholic education that I never had growing up and just trying to, you know, really live, trying to show my younger students, you know, what it really means to live your faith and live your midi outside of just learning about it, like as a school subject too. And a lot of the music that I do in the classroom or a lot of the stuff that I do in the classroom with my kids is really untraditional, mm-hmm. <laughs> untraditional teaching, honestly, like the songs that I would choose for them to sing, the chant, like Jesus chants and everything too. I've, I've developed such a different direction to the way that I teach in the environment that I'm in. And I don't even know if I mentioned this too, I'm the only, or probably one of two colored people like in, in our staff wow. um, down in Gilroy, um, 20 minutes down from San Jose. And I feel like my identity as Filipino has resonated with the handful of Filipinos that are down there. Mm. Um, and I think it's important to mention that I never had a Filipino teacher growing up mm-hmm. ever. And mm-hmm. I don't know how impactful it is to have to have had one, but seeing how my Pinoy students react in school and their families, they ask if they can call me Ate outside of the classroom. And a Aww. lot of them do. And it's it's adorable to see the pride that they have. Like, wow, other than my cousins, I can call someone else Ate in the school <laughs> or auntie. And I just feel like that's that's a really important thing to mention is like how important it is for me to use my culture and to use the cultures of a lot of people with, you know, my, my own students who don't even realize what they are and what they aren't until mm-hmm. they see someone who looks like them in their own everyday school setting. Yeah, that representation, especially in the space that you're in, is so important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Powerful stuff. Leslie, goodness gracious. Thank you so much. First of all, for being a listener. Thank you. That's, it's always great to hear from our listeners. And secondly, just thank you for contributing to our show by adding to the conversation and sharing your story and your life lesson. For people that are interested in connecting with you and uh, calling you Ate, <laughs> yeah. uh, how, how would you like them to contact you? You can find me on, I would love to be emailed. I love answering emails. I think it just seems really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so old school. So, it's like an old school weird way. Yeah. So no, like please email me just because I feel like email conversations now and email threads are just kind of like that professional receipt of, <laughs> of, True. Yeah. of connections now too. My, I, I recently actually just made a music Instagram at Leslie's Piano Studio. So that's completely recent, probably within the last week. Nice. All right. We'll be tagging you there. I did that because <laughs> I really wanted to. Yeah, I really wanted to showcase, you know, the works of like my music and my students too. And it's really not just my everyday life. It's just what I'm doing with my ministry and my music specifically. So mm-hmm. I just did that like a week ago. So that's Leslie's Piano Studio. And then you can find my personal on there, which is uh, my initials, LML Legacion on Instagram and on Facebook. Fantastic. Well, with that said, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. For our listeners, if you want to get Leslie's contact information, that'll be provided in our show notes, which you can find in the details of this episode or our beautiful website, tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W also known as the Filipino American Woman Project.com, TivaProject.com, bookmark it, you know, or something. Or, you know, just check it out for like once at least. You got, you got, we put a lot of heart into that. We've been talking, to, I've been talking about getting a website done for years. So just humor me. 
and look at it and look at it <laughs> admire <laughs> its beauty <laughs> admire its beauty and uh, obviously uh, going back to our conversation if you want to get con- if you want to contact leslie that'll be provided on our website tiferproject.com with that said nani thank you for co-hosting with me as always thank you for having me as always yes and leslie thank you for joining us today you guys are amazing. And like I said, this feels like I'm talking to my two older sisters in two different states, <laughs> cities. <laughs> Nani and I are just in like an hour away. But <laughs> True, true. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm talking to my two older sisters and I feel Aww. like our community just needs a lot more of this kind of interaction. Yeah. Thank you. Agreed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much thank for you, saying guys. that. Awesome. And to our listeners, remember, tvproject.com. That's how you can get a hold of Leslie. That's how you can get a hold of us. And with that said, thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode.